Several weeks ago, I officiated a wedding, and at that wedding, uh, there was a a tragedy, a problem, uh, an issue that came up that really didn't affect anyone else there but me. We are beginning today a series called Contagious Christianity, and it is part of uh, the shepherd's desire that we have a very intentional, purposeful focus on personal evangelism in 2021. And so we're going to do that in this series. We're going to focus on the teaching side of it, but we're going to uh, not just focus on the scriptures and and the ideas and the the principles of the teachings on evangelism, but we're going to make it very practical. And so you notice this morning that you have one of these handouts. I want to encourage you to fill that out, not because the the notes will necessarily make you better, but because at the end of the sermon, I need you to ask you all to utilize that. So I, I want you to for sure leave a space uh, for something that we're going to do together. So we were at this wedding, and I was, um, some of you say, why are you wearing a dark black jacket in June when it's 90 degrees out, 90% humidity, Levering? Now, the reason is because I wanted to show you this was the, the jacket that I was wearing at the wedding. Uh, this is my uh, wedding suit, if you will, or half of it anyway. Um, and when I, after the, the ceremony, it was at the uh, Bartlett Arboretum there in Valley Center, and the problem was this. I had lost a button. And it wasn't just, you know, when you say lose a button, you're like, well, you know, these are preacher problems, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, it's not just a button easily replaced. It was one that had the letter C on it, and, you know, it, it, was, it wasn't one you could just go find the replacement easily. So I knew if I didn't find that button, because it was, it was this button right here. I knew if I didn't find that button, <laughs> I was going to have a problem next time it came to do a wedding ceremony. And so there it was. I mean, it was an evening wedding, beautiful ceremony, lovely couple and families and all of that. But, but amongst all of the good fellowship, I am here going like this. And I am retracing every single step, every place at this outdoor venue that I have been, every tree, every place that I stop for conversation. And as the light begins to go down, I get out my phone and I'm looking for it. I, you know, I'm just kind of, you know, like, well, we knew Toby was weird, but apparently now he's lost it. It was a problem, but no one else seemed really that concerned about the problem, because it was my button. I told some people about the problem, but they weren't nearly as concerned about it as I was. So my button was not their problem. It bothered, bothered me. I, I mean, I knew that if I didn't find this button, it was going to be it was going to come up. I was going to have to replace the suit or the jacket or in some way find a button with the letter C. Now, why the button has the letter C, I have no idea other than C, it's a button. I don't know. That's all I got. Before I left the venue, you need to know I did not find the button. But I asked the steward in charge of the venue, and she, she handles lots of outdoor weddings and things, and I said, hey, I have lost my button, <laughs> and it's 
it's kind of important if I could find this button. If you see this button as you're traveling, as you're looking through, as you're going along the path, or somebody picks it up and brings it to you. And I took this picture. I took this picture, not of the button that I had lost, but of one of the buttons here on my, on my cuff. I said, here's what it looks like. Please keep an eye out for the button. So she agreed to do so. Before Jesus left this world, he left instructions about some unfinished business. You say, unfinished business? Are you saying the gospel is not sufficient? Didn't Jesus on the cross say, it is finished? That's true. In the salvation, the redemptive work of God was completely and totally finished. But there was work yet to be done, and Jesus left instructions about the work yet to be done. And I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28 for Matthew's account. Now, if you do not have a Bible of your own, I'll encourage you to take one of those brown pew Bibles in front of you. And certainly if you're a guest, I want you to take one of those Bibles and just not only use it during the sermon, but I want you to hold on to it. I want you to keep it as our gift because we believe you'll be blessed by reading and studying God's Word. And there's no greater sound to a preacher's ears than the rustling of pages. Matthew chapter 28, these final instructions before Jesus left. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. That's Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through 20, page 1072 in this Bible. I have a question for you. What do we in the faith call this section of Scripture? Perhaps you can just read the little title above it. What do we call those verses? The Great Commission. That's right. The Great Commission. The sending out. And I've heard some people say that that command was only applicable to the apostles. It didn't apply to us. And I understand their well-meaning hearts, but that is absolutely incorrect. You and I would not be here if the apostles didn't fulfill that mission and if those whom they sought out didn't continue to fill, fulfill that great commission. The, 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 the purpose of the church, the heart of everything we should do, should be about, is right here in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Sometimes, however, the great commission is called the great omission. Now, I've got to be careful here. I want to step lightly because I know I, I, it's potentially going to offend some people. But there are some churches that do everything in the world except seek and save souls. Now, I'm not leveling that charge against Northside. Northside has a long history of being a church that is consumed with reaching the lost. 
Back in 1986, one of the elders at that time, Wayne Williams, who's gone on to his reward, brought a vision for a ministry, a television program that could reach people, and it was designed to go on the air at 10 o'clock during church so that people who were not a part of a church family could be reached. It was designed to reach the lost. This Tuesday, I will be officiating the Celebration of Life Memorial for Brenda Cohen. Brenda and Arden came to Northside because of Know Your Bible. They had been watching Know Your Bible long before they ever came to the building. Now the reason that the gospel was was reached, the Cohens, had everything to do with the fact that a man named Wayne Williams had a passion for the lost that he would not let go of. He loved the lost. Northside has lots of, of, of other things like that. Uh, there are lots of churches that do missions, and I'll just say, I know it sounds kind of braggadocious, but I don't know many churches do it better than Northside. We have missionaries that we support financially, prayerfully. We have people that walk with them. We support them. We are intentional and purposeful about reaching the lost around the world, here within our own country. We have a very focused mission plan. We have a team that that works hard at that. So we have missions and know your Bible. We have things like Wichita Work Camp where we're going into the community. We're making an impact. We have things like the women's conference. We have things that go and reach people and with the, the goal of reaching them with the gospel. I need you to understand that that's kind of atypical. Churches easily drift into the idea of kind of a country club. We, we keep ourselves entertained. We, we do things that we like to do. We associate with ourselves. We, we pay, pay a little membership due every now and again. And, and we just enjoy each other together. And that's what a church can drift into if we don't stay on mission. So I'm so grateful that Northside is, is a church on mission and keeps that focus. But you need to understand that the danger here is saying, well... Yeah, I know they're talking about personal evangelism, but we got to know your Bible. And we, we, we got those missionaries we support. And by the way, what are we paying the preacher for? Isn't that his job? This is the danger. That we take personal evangelism and make it, thank you, and take it and make it into delegated evangelism. Oh, I don't need to do that because that's someone else's job. This series is going to be about personal evangelism, really really focusing on that idea of reaching the lost. Every person in here has family members who don't know Jesus, friends that don't know Jesus, co-workers that do not know Jesus, classmates that do not know Jesus, Facebook friends and connections on Instagram of people who do not know Christ and without Christ will go to hell. Not because God hates them, but because they have rejected all of God's love. Now when we talk about personal evangelism, it is easy to begin to think, I should have muted my cell phone. 
I begin to think, maybe I don't have the ability. Maybe I don't have the knowledge. You know, I, I didn't go to, to Bible school. I don't have a degree. In my estimation, that almost makes you more qualified. You might say, well, I don't have the personality for it. I, I, I'm not an extrovert. I'm not gregarious. I'm not, a, I, I'm, not, I'm not a boister. I don't just go into a room and just work it. I don't just make a friend wherever I go. That's just not me. You might say, well, I, I just have other things going on. You know, I, I'm just a little bit away from that retirement point. You know, I, I, I just got to get those kids to college. I, you know, I, I, I just think that I, once I get everything kind of smoothed out in life, then I'll focus on, I got to raise the kids first. Then I'll, then I'll be focused on evangelism. And then you get the kids raised. You think, you know, hey, I, I really, if I just work hard for an extra five, ten years, I could really, retirement could be quite good. And once I get retired, then I'll have plenty of time. And you get retired and you think, well, you know, I'm kind of retired. I think I'd, think I'll leave that to someone else in the church. My time's kind of over. I, you know, we've got things to do and, and uh, my time's running short and uh, I just don't really feel that motivated to do it. If we're not careful, the Great Commission becomes a great omission. And the purpose of this series is to draw us back into that great mission which Jesus called every person of faith from the original 11 all the way throughout the ages of history to be on. Why do we have a Great Commission? Well, very simply, God loves the lost very much. It's the entire point of the Bible. And this whole book is about Jesus the Christ. Have you ever ask yourself, well, why is it about Jesus the Christ? Because God loves human beings that much. Luke chapter 15, if you want to turn there, tells the story of lost people. Now, this is page 1,122. We're in Luke chapter 15. We're not going to go do an exhaustive sermon series on these three stories, but I want to give you a a view from 30,000 feet. In, in the beginning of the chapter, we get this note from Luke. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. In this, this moment, this is what is the catalyst for Jesus telling three stories. Was the fact that Jesus, this well-known and beloved rabbi and teacher, this man who had done so much good, this man who taught in ways they had never heard taught, he taught with authority, this man who did miracles that they couldn't explain. Now, someone like that, the religious people wanted to listen to, but they didn't always want to hear him. And they heard him, but, but they began to be concerned that a man of Jesus' clear talent, clear ability, clear gifting from God was wasting it by hanging out with reprobates, by the lowest rung, by the people that they had written off, by the people that 
that that world at that time had said, these are the bottom of the barrel. You don't have to worry. The wrath of God is already on them. We don't even need to waste our breath teaching them the word of God. Now, lest you misunderstand, because some people say, well, Jesus just liked to hang out with sinners. Jesus was just a good old boy, backslapping and and, and just, just great, wonderfully okay with everyone's sin. He let, the, he let the prostitutes keep prostituting. He wanted the tax collectors to keep cheating people. He, he wanted all those sinners to continue in their sin because he just loved them. And God just wanted to be chill with what you were chill with. And that's how Jesus loved people. And that's not at all why Jesus was with the lost. His heart was to bring them to redemption. To his very last breath, imagine this now, the story of the two men on either side of Jesus, crucified as he was, one criminal chastising him, saying, you've saved everybody else, get us off these crosses, and the other one saying, listen, you and I, we deserve every bit of it, but this man, he's done nothing wrong. And somehow that criminal knew, somehow he knew who Jesus was and what he could do. And he said, Jesus, remember me. And what did Jesus do? He showed him mercy. Jesus loved the lost all the way through. These three stories are about three things that you and I don't easily associate with. The first is... The story of lost sheep, a shepherd who has a flock of a hundred, seeks out the one percent that's gone off. And you and I might be tempted to write off that sheep to say that wool is just down the drain, but, but not that shepherd, no. He loved the sheep. He loved it very much and he, he left the safety and security and he left the whole flock to seek the one He told the story of a widow woman who had somehow lost, misplaced, I don't know how, but the the only thing, her nest egg, that she had to live on. And she searched, she turned that house upside down searching for it because it was of great worth. Not to anybody else, but to her. And Jesus reminds us that God loves the Loves the lost like the shepherd loves that one sheep. And he loves the lost like the widow loves that, those missing coins because of their great value. And he tells the, the last and most well-known story of a father who did such illogical, irrational, unexplainable, almost offensive things. All because of the love of his son. And Jesus said, God loves the lost. Like you and I, who are evil, love our own children. I love my son very much. I love my daughter very much too. And there's not a person in here who can fathom how much I love them. They don't even fully understand how much I love them. Your own children can't fathom how much you love them. They just accept it as true. They didn't earn it. They have no right to it. 
but they're bestowed with it. They're graced with it. And Jesus says, God loves the lost like a father loves his son in inexplainable ways. And when you and I are called to think about the lost, it's easy to begin to separate and to think about all of us in here and all of those out there. And Jesus told three stories to make one simple point. God loves the lost. He always has. This whole redemption story is about God seeking the lost. He seeks to save them as lost sheep and find them as lost treasure and love them as a father loves his lost son. You could sum it up. Jesus' entire mission in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Just turn a few pages over. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Here we are. Jesus with a man who had been ignored, left behind, written off. And this man was up in a tree because he was so small. But he wasn't just small in stature, he was small in life, and he was small in himself. But Jesus saw him. And he said, Zacchaeus, how about we go to lunch? How about I come to your house? And Jesus saw him. And people had a problem with that. But Jesus didn't give up on Zacchaeus. It didn't give up on you and I. He hasn't given up and he won't give up until he returns. This is his mission. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus did a lot of good things. He, he taught a lot of good teachings, things that, things that we still study today, things that Jesus said we still marvel and think about and dwell on and write books about things that Jesus said. Jesus did a lot of good things. He did miracles and he healed people and, and he did things that, that scientists couldn't explain then or today. Those closest to him didn't fully understand all of the good that he did or why that he did it. But despite knowing a lot of good and doing a lot of good, Jesus was on one good, perfect Mission, and it was this to seek and to save what was lost. God seeks the lost because He loves them. You know, John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. I hope you don't know it so well that you refuse to turn there. I hope you turn there in your Bibles, and more importantly, I hope you write it on your hearts. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. For God for God so loved the world. Did you catch that? He doesn't just love you. Oh, he does. But he doesn't just love you. He doesn't just love Northside. Oh, he does. But his love doesn't stop there. He doesn't just love Wichita. Oh, he does, but lest we stop there, he doesn't just love United States citizens. Oh, he does. Now, he loves the whole world. 
And he loved him so much that he gave his only son. I love a lot of people. But I, there's not a one of you in here I'd give my son for. Not because I dislike you, but because I love him. Now think about that with God. He loved his, the, soul, the world that he gave, his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came and he was on a mission. He came for a purpose. And the church can do a lot of good things, but may we not forget to always be about the one thing that Jesus did, His align ourselves with His purpose, to seek and to save the lost. And why should we do that? Because it's easy? No. Because it's convenient? No. Because it's comfortable? Certainly not. Why we should seek and save the lost is because God loves the lost greatly. The title of the sermon is, Why Evangelism Fails. I was thinking about all of the messages I've heard on evangelism. I was thinking about all of the Bible classes I've been to on Evangelism. I was thinking about all the great speakers, orators, who, who just will convict you and tell you all these stories about people being led to Christ. You know, the, the Tulsa workshop used to be known as the Tulsa Soul Winning Workshop. The goal was to, to help encourage people to go after souls. But why is it that so often we step back from personal evangelism? Why is it that so often personal evangelism doesn't work? And my answer is because we don't do it. If I'm honest, God's put a lot of people in my life, lost and saved, And I must confess to you that I don't love the lost like God loves them. I should tell you about my neighbor, Steve. Well, he's no longer my neighbor. He moved a couple of years ago. We moved in our home where we live in now about four years ago. And the neighbor to the south of us was a man named Steve. He lived with his girlfriend and they lived in the house next door. We would talk occasionally over the fence. But I never shared the gospel with him. We talk about all sorts of manner of life and all sorts of things. But I never shared the reason for the hope that I have. And then Steve moved out. And the house next door was vacant. 
And one night I was sitting on my bed and I was reading something on my phone and my phone rang and it was Steve, my neighbor, who wasn't my neighbor anymore. Hey Steve, how are you? I figured maybe he wanted me to check on something in the house. You know how people call you and you instantly begin to think about what they possibly could be calling about. And so we talked, made a little chit-chat, and then it was time to get to the point of the call. And, and Steve, Steve said, you know, I'm going through a really hard time right now. You see, he and his girlfriend had broken up. And he was just devastated. And he said, I saw something you posted on Facebook. And he said, I said, I was wondering, would it be okay if I went with church to church with you tomorrow? Sure. Sure, come on. We'll have a seat for you. We'll be right here. And so he came. He came a few times and... This is not the part where I tell you he was baptized into Christ and now is preaching at a church somewhere. That's, that's not what happened. Still think about Steve for one reason. And this convicts me to my heart. Steve had to ask me. He had to ask me a gospel preacher. Why don't we do it? Oh, I have the same reasons that you do. I don't know enough. I'm too immature. People don't want to hear it. They're ambivalent. We live in a post-Christian nation. But the, but the number one reason we don't do it, honestly, is because we don't love the lost. Not as much as we love ourselves. And I use that we all inclusively. April 12th, 1912, at 2 a.m. in the morning, somewhere in the middle of the North Atlantic Ocean, the unthinkable happened. The great unsinkable ship, the Titanic, did what they said God couldn't do, it sank. After sinking, the lifeboats, of which there were not enough, were lowered into the water and people, some people made it into the lifeboats. And as the ship continued to sink, there were those remaining in the safety and security of the lifeboats, and they had a great moral quandary into which God had put them. The 1997 movie Titanic pictured it well. If we could bring the lights down a little bit, I want you to get this picture of the people on the lifeboats and their quandary. You don't understand. If we go back, they'll swamp the boat. They'll pull us right down, I'm telling you. Knock it off. You're scaring me. Come on, girls. Grab an oar. Let's go. Are you out of your mind? We're in the middle of the North Atlantic. Now, do you people want to live or do you want to die? I don't understand a one of you. What's the matter with you? It's your men out there. 
There's plenty of room for more. Now bring in your oars over there and tie these two boats together as well. Now make sure that's tied up nice and tight. Right! Listen to me, man. We have to go back. I want to transfer all the women from this boat into that boat right now, as quick as you can, please. Let's get some space over there. Move forward and up. As they sit in the lifeboats, Molly Brown says, there's plenty of room for more. May God forgive us for having the attitude of many of the lifeboat passengers. So secure, so comfortable, so worried about what's the temperature in the room? Will there be enough parking today? Who's teaching? How long did the sermon go? God forgive us. For the times or any time when I personally or us collectively have lost sight of the mission. Charles Spurgeon was a famous preacher. I have a few cards on my walls about preaching and verses about preaching and quotes about preaching, and this particular quote is one that I love, and he drives to the mission. He says this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies, and if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, then let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Charles Spurgeon was not a Church of Christ preacher, but one Church of Christ man who was deeply passionate over missions, Jewel Miller wrote a series of Bible studies, the ones I studied when I became a Christian. And you know what Jewel Miller, the whole reason for that? Because he agonized over the lost. He prayed over the lost. They didn't ever leave his heart or his mind because they knew that he never left, they never left the mind and the heart of God. And he said, sometimes in the church... We move from agonizing over the lost to try to organize over the lost. You and I are called to preach, to go into the world, and to get as many as possible into the eternal lifeboat. And so here's how. I'm going to share it with you. Here's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus lived a perfect life. He died an atoning sacrifice on a Roman cross, and that blood was the perfect atonement for your sin. And after he died, he was buried, and he was dead for three solid days. And three days after his death, he arose, and his resurrection was witnessed by many, many witnesses. And we put our hope in him. Now, that's the gospel, what First Corinthians 15, 3, and 4, Paul said, is the first 
importance. Of all the things churches worry about, of all the things churches do, the gospel is of first importance. And here's my problem. I'm preaching a gospel to mostly saved people. Now, I know there may be some guests here, and and if you haven't obeyed the gospel, I want to encourage you to do that, and and I want you to know exactly how to do it. Gary talked about Romans 6. I want you to look at Romans chapter 6, page 1209. Romans chapter 6 talks about how we obey the gospel. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in grace in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he who died still live in it? Do you not know, verse 3, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Offer an invitation most Sundays and most sermons, and this one is no different. If you have not obeyed the gospel, I'm not asking you if you believe it, I'm asking whether you've obeyed it. I'm not asking you whether you agree with it, I'm asking whether you've submitted to it. Have you obeyed The gospel. Paul was quite clear. Jesus was quite clear that there is no other way to the Father except through him. And the only way into him through the gospel is by faith, repentance from sin, baptism into Christ. Now, baptism is not how you're saved. It is when you're saved. And if you are ready to do that this morning, we will gladly make that happen. But again, the problem is, most of that message goes to people who've been baptized for decades. If you haven't responded, I want you to respond. But if you've already responded, may we then realize that we are in the lifeboat. And we still have a mission that God has us on. And so may we, wherever we go, be on mission. If Northside stopped doing every ministry and everything that we do, and only did this thing, I'm convinced we would still glorify God. I'm not saying we should. I'm just saying we need to prioritize and always be on mission. Wherever you are, you have an opportunity. If you're in the lifeboat, if you're in the lifeboat, your attitude should not be, oh, good, I'm in the lifeboat. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. Just one glimpse of him in glory. Will the toes of life repay? And we all sing together. When we all get to heaven, what a day of glory that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. And there's plenty of room in the boat. 
And there are people dying to the left and to the right, people that you're connected to on Facebook that do not know and that will not sing the glories of heaven or see Jesus if we don't get serious about inviting anyone that we're in contact with into the boat. Here's where it gets practical. The first thing I want you to do is get out your handout. This is where the audience participation sermon of the uh, participation portion of the sermon begins. Here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to get out a pen or a pencil. If you don't have a pen or pencil, steal one from the person next to you. Get it in the pew in front of you. I'm really serious. I want you to write it down. There's something to writing down. And I want you to make a list somewhere in this giant blank piece you got none of the verses, if you got none of the points, none of that matters as much as this list. Make a list of the lost. I mean people in your family that do not know Jesus. I mean people that you work with that do not know Jesus. People that are on your heart. People that that are in your class at school when you go back in the fall. People that you work with. People that you're connected to on social media. I don't care. I want you to make a list. How long should the list be, preacher? No more than five. But no fewer than one. Go ahead. At this point, you should not be looking at the preacher. I have no further information to give you. If you're not making a list, my guess is you don't care greatly about the lost. Make your list. You've got to write down a name. Could be a son. Could be a daughter. Could be a grandchild. Could be a neighbor. Could be a coworker. No more than five, no fewer than one. Anyone not in the lifeboat. I didn't say anyone not in the pew. I said anyone not in the lifeboat. The lifeboat being Jesus the Christ. Now, for those of you who care about the lost and the mission of Jesus, you've made a list. Maybe it's not exhaustive, but you have at least one name on there. Will you join me? After this lesson, we're going to have a prayer. Rob Dobbs is going to lead that prayer. I want to encourage you each day this week to pray over the lost. And I don't mean lost in the general sense. I mean lost in the very specific sense of your list. Pray over each soul intentionally and purposely. If God decides to lead other souls to you, that's wonderful. But I want you to pray over these people. And third is, I want you to intentionally, purposefully 
Love them intentionally. And again, I don't mean in the general sense. I mean, some point this week, you're going to send them a text or a message on Facebook that says, Hey, how can I pray for you? I've been thinking about you, and I've been wondering, how can I pray for you this week? Maybe it's serving them. You, you know that their yard's overgrown, it needs to be mowed, they don't have time, they're very busy. You just go over and mow it and say, I've been thinking about you, and I just wanted to serve you in some way. Send them a card, send them a message. If you need more practical ways to show how to love, Romans chapter 12 gives you a whole list. But I want you to love the lost. Okay, that's it. For this week, that is our practical, personal evangelism. And I want you to take that seriously because God wants us to take that seriously. About a week after I did the wedding, I got an envelope in the mail. Pastor Toby from the Bartlett Arboretum, with the words written, Miracles Happen. And inside was my button. And the only reason I have that button today, because she didn't forget or give up on what was lost. May we not either. May we each personally, individually, be about the mission of seeking and saving the lost. If you this morning saw the gospel invitation and you realize you haven't been baptized, that you're not in Christ, that outside you're, you're going to hell without Him, you can get in the lifeboat this morning. And I beg that you would. I cannot think of a reason. You don't need to know any more scriptures. You don't need to have a great deal of knowledge. You simply need to know and to believe that Jesus is the Christ and the only way and the only Son of God. And if you need to respond to that this morning, let's do it. And let's stop wasting time and let's get about it. If you need to do that this morning, we're going to sing a song. I want you to go straight back, find one of our shepherds, say, I'm ready to get in the boat. Let's get in the water and let's get it done. If you're ready to do that this morning, won't you please respond and do so now. And if you're already in the boat, may your attitude be, there's always room for more. Whatever your need might be, won't you respond as together we stand and sing.